Good morning, Providence Church family. It's good to be with you and to worship in the light of Christ. Today, we're continuing along in our Ephesians series. And last week, we saw how the light of Christ has shone on us. Um, That's what Jared preached last week. And today, we're going to see the effects of the light of Christ. And those effects are that his people would be filled with the Spirit. And the marks of a Spirit-filled person are worship, thanksgiving, and submission. It's, um, it's kind of like when you turn uh, the light on in your five-year-old's bedroom and you can finally see all the Legos that you've been stepping on this whole time. Um, so it is with uh, Christ's light that shines on us. It reveals everything and it, more importantly, shows us how we can avoid um, the Legos in the room, if you will. And so it is with our text. We who were asleep are now awake. We who were dead are now alive. We who were blind can now see the world in full color. And now what Paul wants to do, or what God wants to do through Paul, is that he wants the church to look at how we should walk in wisdom and power in the Spirit of God. And so my question for us this morning, um, the question we should ask ourselves is, have we experienced the Spirit's guiding in our life? Have we actually experienced that as a community, as individuals, people um, who love Jesus? Have you experienced the Spirit guiding your life? The truth and the promise for us today is that those who have been saved by Jesus will be filled with his spirit. And I'm excited to show that to us today. Um, And so today there's two points for us, walking and worship. Really simple, walking and worship. Um, And so yeah, let's jump right in. Please uh, read again with me Ephesians 15 through 16. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise making the best use of time because the days are evil. Paul, um, in this section, breaks down uh, walking in wisdom into three parts. He says, don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand. And don't be drunk, but be filled. And at the very start of this section, he meets us with urgency. He says, look, take note of, examine how you're walking. And the first of his do's and don'ts seems pretty obvious, right? If you want to follow God, don't be unwise, but be wise, right? Like it sounds really, really simple, right? But Paul goes on to describe this wisdom with urgency, saying that the days are evil. And if you're like me, when you read this, you're like, this sounds like unnecessarily scary. Like, I, I don't think I've seen like evil like in my neighborhood recently, um, But the truth is, it it should be scary. In the time that we live in, uh, much like the time of the past, uh, we have evil baked into it. There's Legos on the ground, if you will. Evil here means anything that is contrary to God, anything that goes against his beautiful plan in Christ. But for the Christian, rather than being intimidated by evil, Paul urges us to make the best use of time, to redeem the time, as some translations say. Implicit in this idea is that as Christians, we get to buy time back from the darkness. If time is a resource, we get to choose where we spend it, right? Um, And for some of us, uh, myself included, sometimes we spend our time longing for the past, right? Or maybe you spend your time longing for the future. But for the Christian and the power of the Spirit, we get to spend our time in the present for the will of God, In the here and now, we can use our time for divine purposes in Christ. Paul wants us to see that we can walk in wisdom and goes on how to, or to describe how we will redeem the time. He says this, don't be foolish, but understand. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 17. The result of divine wisdom is not foolishness, but understanding. The picture here is that in the previously dark world, we didn't know what we were doing. We lived lives aimless, purposeless, stepping on Legos. But now in the light of Christ, we have received divine understanding from Christ and his spirit. When I was young, I really wanted to play the guitar. Like That's like all I ever wanted to do, right? And so uh, I would go home and I would watch MTV and I'd try to play guitar like Blink-182. You guys remember that band? Yeah. Um, but I was a fool, right? I was young. I didn't know anything about the guitar, right? I think my first guitar was like a cardboard box with like a few strings like tied to it. Um, I didn't know anything about playing the guitar. But eventually I met a man who gave me instructions on how to play the guitar. And it was as if this big hidden secret on how to play music was revealed to me, right? And I think it's the same way with understanding. We all start as fools trying to figure it out, right? Don't take any offense to that. We all start there. We all start as fools not knowing the things of God. But then we meet a person who changes our life. And for the Christian, we believe that person is Jesus and his spirit, If you think back to the first chapter in Ephesians, it says this. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel, that Christ has revealed the will of God to us. And God's will is twofold, right? So God's will is twofold. God's will is both God's will, what God does in the world, but it's also God's will for us, what we do in the world, what God requires of us. And that's what Paul goes on to describe. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk, but be filled with with the Spirit. It's an interesting contrast. To be filled with the Spirit is both the will of God and it's God's will for us. The will of God is that Christ would fill all in all. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 says. Christ came to fill the whole world with his glory, including us. That's God's will, what he's doing in the world. But it's also God's will for us, his command to us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You and me and everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's some logical discrepancies that you're probably like wrestling through right now, just like I'm wrestling through. You might be asking, I thought I already had the whole Holy Spirit person already, right? Like, I don't, do I not like have the whole Holy Spirit or like, how does that work? And the answer is you do. Like you have the entire Holy Spirit. If your faith is in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. That's God's will. John 14, chapter 14 says that. Um, but then you might be thinking, well, then if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, like how do I like be filled more with the Holy Spirit? Like it doesn't really make sense, right? Um, and you're right, it doesn't make sense. But I think what Paul's trying to say here is that we have like a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like there's actually some work to put into it to be open to the Spirit. As one commentator puts it, this I thought was just so beautiful. He says this, if the indwelling each Christian has all of the Spirit, but the command to be filled by the Spirit enables the Spirit to have all 
the believer. With the indwelling, each Christian has all of the Spirit. But the command to be filled by the Spirit enables the Spirit to have all of the believer. And church, this is, uh, this is what I'm trying to say here. This is what Paul is trying to say. It's possible to have the Spirit but not give yourself over to him completely. It's very possible to live that sort of impoverished Christian lifestyle. And this circles back around to being drunk, right? That interesting contrast. You see, when you're drunk, you're out of control of yourself. You lose control of your will. You lose control of your previous judgments. You've lost all you are to the drunken state. And similarly, likewise, when we're filled with the Spirit, we lose who we are. We lose control of our life. We lose control of our will. We lose control of our previous judgments, ultimately to submit them to the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be filled, to give ourselves over to the Spirit of God, giving all that we are over to the will of God in the person of the Spirit. And so if you're like me, you're probably wondering, like, what should we do with this all? Now, I think the main thrust of Paul's encouragement is to be wise, understanding, and submit to the Spirit. And practically, we have to ask ourselves the question, have we submitted to the Spirit or not? For the Christian, because of what Jesus has done to save us, now we can submit like Christ to the Spirit. And this is played out in our spiritual practices, right? It's played out in our Bible reading. It's played out in practicing the presence and submitting our life to the commands that God has given us. This filling of the Spirit, to be, to be crystal clear, is done by God. But the way, the part that we play is in joyful submission to what God is doing. It's kind of like, um, have you guys ever been to like Chick-fil-A or like a fast food place? Maybe? I don't know. I go to fast food places still. I like to go inside and eat at them. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's like uh, trying to pour a glass like, under a soda fountain that's like, always moving. To be filled, we only have to stop and be still and ask God to fill us, right? That's our part, joyful submission to God. In John 14, 15, and 17, it says that God has saved us not because of our good works, but actually to do good works. Like, um, the gospel frees us to, to do good things, to frees us to complete his commandments. Let me read that for us. It says, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This empowerment that Jesus talks about comes through saving belief in Jesus, in himself. And today, man, if, if, uh, if you don't know Jesus, your first step on the spiritual journey of being filled with the Spirit is actually to trust in Jesus. Like that's step one, like believe in Jesus and all that he has done. Being filled with the Spirit only makes sense in the light of Christ. Otherwise, it will crush us. None of us can keep God's commands, right? Like that's biblical truth. None of us can keep God's commands. No, not one. But the power of the Spirit is actually a divine promise to us, right? So God can keep his own commands, and God in us sets our life on a trajectory to keep his commands, like, that's a beautiful picture, and that's what Paul's talking about here. We get to submit our lives to the will and power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that is the good news that Jesus saved us for a purpose, to love God and each other and to follow his commands. And so that's point one, walking in the spirit, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to the brim. And point two, uh, I want us to see three marks of what that means for the Christian church. It's going to be a little bit more practical, right? Three marks of what Paul lays out here. And those three marks are this, singing, thanksgiving, and submission. Singing, interestingly enough, the first mark of a person filled with the Spirit is singing. And as a worship leader, I get so excited to preach this passage, right? Like this is (laughs) passage number one you learn in worship leader school, right? Ephesians 5 and uh, Colossians 3.16, right? Like, that's, that's it. But what's interesting about this is not that it talks about diversity in music, right? It talks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which is, like, very diverse. But that's not what I think is interesting. What's interesting is actually how it's contra to how we normally view singing in the church. Our Holy Spirit-empowered singing is both to God, making a melody in our hearts, and towards each other, right? Let's read the verses just so we can reference them. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I've auditioned hundreds of musicians in my time, like leading worship, like probably over the last 10 years, right? It's 10 people a year, 100 people. It's awesome. Maybe not hundreds, 100 people. Um, and some of them have been really good, and some of them have not been so good. And that's okay. Like, people just need to practice more, and that's totally understandable. But the thing that we look for um, in a person is typically, like, music and, like, a heart that's actually been touched by Jesus. Um, and so in, in auditions, I'll, I'll ask people often, like, why they want to sing or play on, like, a church music team. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I get responses that go like this, right? Um, I just want to sing to God. Right? Or maybe uh, more heartfelt um, and a little bit cringy is, I just want to perform to the audience of one. Right? Like, these are actual responses that I get. And if you've said this, like, I, I get it. Like, I get the sentiment, and I think that that is very, very real. Right? That's a good place to be in. However, from this passage, it would seem that God does not want us to sing to an audience of one but rather for an audience of two, or perhaps the manifold audience of God's eternal people. Paul here writes that we sing to God in our hearts, but we also sing to each other, both of which are results of the Spirit. This means that for us, whether you're a good singer or a bad singer, uh, a mark of a person filled with the Spirit is to sing. And so if you have the Spirit of God, you will sing. In our singing, we both encourage each other along and worship the Creator. But this is only done in our hearts if they are fully given over to the Spirit. You see, we need understanding, as the previous passages talked about, but we also need affection for God. We need our hearts to actually be there, to actually be engaged in worship to God. Uh, There's a famous theologian named Jonathan Edwards who wrote a book called The Religious Affections. Um, It's one of my favorites. I'd encourage you to read it. Um, And in it, he compares worship to a candle. And I have this 
very long quote, so deal with me um, on this. But this is, this is probably one of my, my favorite quotes in the whole world because it talks about like what true worship is, right? Um, and it says this. It says, as there is no true religion, true worship, where there is nothing else but affection, so there is no true religion where there is no religious affection. As on the one hand, there must be light in understanding as well as an affected, fervent heart. Where there is heat without light, there can be nothing divine or heavenly in that heat. And so, on the other hand, where there is light without heat, a head stored with notions and speculations, with a cold, unaffected heart, there can be nothing divine in that knowledge. That knowledge is no true spiritual knowledge of divine things. And this is where he brings it back home. He says... This, if the great things of religion, of Christianity, are rightly understood, they will affect the heart. And that is just so powerful, right? He's talking about a light bulb, right? And the light is understanding and the heat is affection for God. If you have one but not the other, your worship is probably incorrect. Like you probably haven't really seen Jesus because those two things are paired together. And the heart of humanity um, is so important, right? It's the seat of all human, like, knowing, right? Like, your heart is, like, who you are. It's all your knowing. It's all your emotion. It's all of your will. And for God to indwell and empower us means that our hearts will sing for his glory. If we've truly seen Jesus, we will sing um, from a heart that's been affected by Christ. Singing in particular is fitting because it involves your whole being. I don't know if you've noticed this before, um, but to sing without like knowing what you're singing about, it's probably just like karaoke or you're like a fool, right? Like you just, you heard this melody on the radio, but you sing it, but you actually don't know what it's about. Like you're a fool if you're singing something that you actually don't know what it's about. Likewise, if you sing without emotion, it's probably just like, perfunctory, lifeless singing, right? Like nobody likes that. That's why soul music is so good because there's so much emotion in it, right? Yeah, Miguel. Like it, it's the emotion that makes it. And likewise, if you're singing without your will, you're probably just like standing there like lifeless, like you're not trying. And that's why singing is like, it brings all those things together, right? Our knowing, our emotion, and our will, which comprise our heart. And for us, Providence, I think it would be a great mark of us to, to pick up the spiritual practice of singing, right? No matter if you're good, no matter if you're bad, apart from a worship leader, apart from a band, apart from really skilled musicians, what if we picked up the spiritual practice of singing in our city groups or in our family time or in our celebrations or in our funerals, right? If we just sang all the time as a spiritual practice, as a church community, let us take up that practice because of how deeply rooted the Spirit has filled us. And by the way, you guys do a really good job. It's so fun to sing like on Sundays with you guys. Even today we were playing that song with like the little breaks and like to hear the people of God just like singing, it like encourages me. Even when I'm like maybe don't feel like singing or whatever, like hearing you guys sing actually like spurs me up. So good job, Providence. Keep it up. I want to see us start singing in our city groups though. So uh, if you guys do that, that'd be awesome. We'll see how it goes. Uh, okay, uh, the second mark of a Christian filled with the Spirit is thanksgiving. Um, read with me verse 20. It says this, giving thanks always and for everything to God 
the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, man, giving thanks for everything and always. What a call that is. Um, I think initially when we hear this, we think of all the bad things in the world, but I want to assure you that that's not what God has in mind here. Those are the evil things that he's warned us of before. Rather, this thanksgiving is for all the good that God has done for us, for God himself. And this, uh, this frees us to, to give thanks even on the darkest days. And the reason that is, is because all of this is wrapped up in the person of Jesus, right? To, all of our thanksgiving is not just done from our own heart, but it's actually, um, it's actually paired with Jesus himself, right? It's as if Jesus is translating our thanksgiving to God. And this is good news because this means even when our thanksgiving falls short or when our hearts are stubborn, Christ perfects our thanksgiving. It's Jesus who has bought us from sin and Jesus who has brought us into this relationship with God. And it's Jesus who sustains our union with Christ. And therefore, it should be in the name of Jesus that we give thanks to God. It only makes sense. And beyond this, um, our thanksgiving is directed towards a person, right? It's not just thankfulness for circumstance or for something good that's happened to us, but it's actually directed towards the Father, which is really important because um, we're thankful to God, not for just what he's done to us, but because of who he is, right? Like that's why we're thankful to God, because, um, because who he is has been revealed to us, and there's nothing more beautiful than that. There's a song we'll sing here in a little bit, and it talks about our hearts being like towards God, and I think this scripture just makes that song way more impactful because you realize that your heart needs to be directed towards something and it can't be directed just towards circumstance or happenings or events but to have your heart directed towards the father is like is a gospel gift and so as christians we should um, take up the spiritual practice of thanksgiving being thankful for everything and always because jesus has given us everything and lastly uh the last mark of a christian is submission um, Verse 21, it says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this might seem like a strange uh, mark of the Spirit, right? Like it's kind of out of left field. But walking in wisdom does mean submitting to each other because of what Christ has done. Paul makes this clear and under examination, I think this um, particular peace of being filled with the Spirit actually makes Christians and Christianity um, different than any other people group in the whole world, in the whole galaxy, right? Um, currently, there are many who long for equality, which is good and true. However, the means of this fight for equality have devolved into individual fights for rights, right? We've um, we fought for our right to marry. We fought for our right to decide our gender, we fought for our rights to life. We fought for our rights to bear arms. We fought for our freedom. The Beastie Boys fought for their right to party. But when we submit ourselves to the Spirit, we come into a new understanding of the world. And we realize that the only way towards equality in the church is actually not through fighting, but through submitting our rights to God and to each other. If there's any fighting involved, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against evil, darkness, sin, and slavery to it. God's people have been given equality under God, and now they have the freedom to lay down their rights and to submit to each other. 
And you might be asking this question, I know I am, why should we do that as opposed to not? Like, why is that a good idea? And I think the answer to that is this. The reason we should lay down our rights is because we already have everything, right? Like, we are privileged in Christ because we have everything. We've been given everything in Christ. And our submission makes great our reverence for Christ. Because we have plenty, we can give it away. This means in our church and in the global church, we should joyfully submit to each other. And this this looks like laying down our rights. While the world is fighting for its rights, in Christianity, we realize we have every right. We've been given everything, dignity, value, worth. And rather than using those for selfish ambition and selfish pursuits, we can submit our rights and worship to God. And this is the picture we see in Philippians 2, 5, and 8. He says this, Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." In our submission, we're partakers in the submission Christ showed to God. Beyond this, we're free to submit to each other because we already have everything in Christ. Imagine this, Providence. Imagine if we truly viewed ourselves as rich, right? We have a right to our own monies, but because we're rich in Christ, we can give those things away. We can submit it to others because of what Christ has done for us. And while you have intellect, you can submit that intellect to help others understand. While you have life, you can submit your life so that others might live. While you have will and strength, you can submit those things so that others might be strengthened. Where we have cultural traditions and values, we can submit those things so that the diversity of God's kingdom might be shown in his people. Because Christians are filled with the Spirit of Christ, we must submit to one another in worship in Christ. And what's beautiful about this picture of a Christian community is that in submitting to each other, we actually elevate each other up, right? Like, it's, it's a picture of the gospel, and that's the way that God, like, builds his kingdom. It's not a skyscraper with eye beams that get placed, singular eye beams that just go up to the ceiling, but it's brick on top of brick, right? Like, mortar and brick on top of each other, like, building this kingdom up. Like, that's the picture of the gospel. And the only way it works is if we submit to each other. The marks of the Spirit on the life of a Christian are singing, thanksgiving, and submission to each other. Uh, In conclusion, Ben, you can come up. Um, Since we've been shined on by Christ, we have a new way of seeing the world around us. That Christ has shown on us, and now the whole world is revealed to us in color. And the, the product of that is namely to be filled with the Spirit, right? Like that's God's plan for us, God's will, and his will for us, his command to us to be filled with the Spirit. And the marks of the spirit-filled life are thanksgiving, worship, and submission. And that's the community the Father is building, one in which his people are filled with himself and display the affection for the Father and each other. Let me pray for us. God, um, you have promised the Holy Spirit to us, God. You've given us the entirety of your personhood 
um, in Jesus, in the entirety of your personhood, in the spirit now alive in those who believe in Jesus. Lord, would you help us um, to submit to your will, God, to, um, to find those moments in which we give ourselves wholly to your spirits and your desire um, and your longings, Lord. Uh, would you help us to give ourselves wholly to that? In your holy name, amen.